Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. All right, good morning, Journey South Bay. Hey, well, if you didn't notice, um, I lost my voice. But, uh, hey, the, the Word has to be preached, right? So let's do this thing. And just so you know, if my voice cracks, I expect people to laugh, and I hope for it. So don't, don't worry about that. All right, so, hey, Eli is a great prayer, better than me, but I, I just want to pray again. Is that okay? All right, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you that you are king. Father, we thank you that we can come before you, and we can come before you boldly. Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would, you would break our hearts, that we would be more like you, Father, that you would fill our hearts with joy, Father, in, in, in your presence. Lord, we, we want to know you more. We want to live for you more. And so, Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts in this room. You'd help our brains to be focused after a long week. Um, we, we just want to give you all the glory today, Jesus. And then if you in your own chair would just pray for your own heart and pray for my heart in preparation for this message. You've heard our prayers, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so does anybody, anybody like the Revolutionary War, American Revolution? Okay. Anybody heard of the Battle of Trenton? Raise your hand if you have. Wilson has. All right, Wilson, get up here and tell the whole thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so it was uh, December of 1776. We were really, the, the morale of the American troops was extremely low. Basically, what, would, what had happened was a person that nobody here has probably ever heard of, George Washington. He was over, wait, have we heard of him? Yes, we have, of course, right? He was over 28,000 troops, okay? Uh, I'll say it again, December of 1776. So this is after the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And what happened was he had 28,000 troops. It was a week before the end of the year, and he was down to 2,400 troops. They were beginning to lose the war. The morale was low. They were hungry. Many of them didn't have the clothes or the things they needed. Many of them didn't have shoes, Okay, we're talking Trenton, New Jersey, okay? So it's snowing, it's cold, and a lot of them don't have shoes. I can barely walk outside when it's 70 degrees and flip-flops, okay? So it's snowing, it's icy, and, and these are the conditions they're, they're going through. So now they're down to 2,400 troops. George Washington knows that at the end of the year, a bunch of the contracts of those troops are gonna, are gonna run out. So what does that mean? That means there's gonna be even less troops, so their morale is tanking. They feel like they're going to lose the revolution. They already have like basically no troops, and now they're going to lose it even more. So George Washington, he knows that he has to do something crazy. So George Washington, he gets his hungry troops together, his troops that don't have what they need, and he reads a letter to them. He reads a letter to them that was written from Thomas Paine to George Washington, and George Washington reads it to his, all of his 2,400 troops, and this is part of that letter that you've probably heard before. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. 
It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Thomas Paine to George Washington says the words, what we obtain too cheap, esteem too lightly. If we pay too little of a cost or we do not understand the cost, then the thing that we have paid for or have not paid for, we will not value it because the cost is not personal. I think we can see how that's going to tie into the gospel this morning. So I want to finish the story for you. It's December of 1776. This, is, this letter is read aloud to the 2,400 troops, and it's Christmas Eve. What do we like to do on Christmas Eve? We like to hang out. We like to sing. We like to eat good food, right? So there's a camp about nine miles up the Delaware River on the other side. Keep in mind the Delaware River is a half a mile wide. George Washington knows that the Germans, which would have been contracted by Great Britain, were about nine miles up the Delaware River. And so George Washington knows we need to take these guys out, but we're not going to have a very good chance of success. So George Washington is thinking, it's Christmas Eve. Nobody expects us to attack on Christmas Eve. There's a blizzard outside. Nobody attacks, plans, thinks we're going to attack when there's a blizzard. We have no resources and people know it. Nobody thinks we're gonna come at them. And again, it's Christmas Eve, so they're probably drinking and partying and, and probably asleep. So as, as God's hand would move, what ended up happening was George Washington, he would cross that half mile Delaware River on Christmas Eve, okay? He would cross it over, expecting that these troops are not gonna see it coming. They lost a few men as they crossed that Delaware River because it was a half a mile wide. But because of the blizzard, it took 14 hours to cross. 14 hours to cross a half a mile river. They would get to the other side. And then after they had already lost many men, they would trek nine miles up along the Delaware River in the blizzard. Many of them, again, barefoot. The stories are told that you could see red tracks along the snow because of the blood of the soldiers' feet. They would walk up. They came up to the camp expecting, thinking, hey, maybe there's going to be guards. There was absolutely no German guards covering Trenton because they had been drinking the night before. It's Christmas Eve. There's a blizzard. There's no way that anyone's going to come and attack us. And, of course, what happened? The Americans, they come in. They capture 900 men. They kill 100. And the, and the rest of the Germans ran away. They're like, these dudes are crazy. These guys just went through over 14 hours of incredible pain, but was going through their mind the entire time as they went through this incredibly terrible circumstance is what we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. When we pay this extreme of a cost for freedom, then we are going to value it at its highest core. I mean, you just think about it in America. Who are the people that, that love the idea of being an American so much? Of course, soldiers, right? Families of soldiers, has anybody ever met somebody that went through the incredibly difficult process of becoming a legal immigrant? Taking the test to become a legal immigrant. Has anybody ever met somebody that did that? Man, do they love America. They know the cost. They know the cost. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. My first question that I want us to ask, and we're really just going to ask a couple questions 
And it's going to be maybe a simpler message, but I hope that it hits your heart deep. Do you know the cost of your salvation? And again, that may seem like an elementary question, and maybe it is, but that doesn't mean that it's not an incredibly deep question. Now, when I read that, of course, the first thing that I want to say is yes. I know what Jesus did for me. I know that he took six-inch long nails and half-inch wide through his wrists to hit the nerves that would cause more pain than any of us in here could have ever experienced. I know that Jesus was mocked and spit on. I know that he carried the cross so far that they had to grab somebody to help him because the Romans were afraid that he was going to die while carrying the cross before he was even hung on it. I know these things in my brain. I know that the King of Kings, the Son of God, the one who is fully God, put on flesh and went through life for 33 years and hung on a cross for me. I know that. I know the cost. And yet, I also know that I can't just say I know the cost because I don't. I don't know it fully. I know what it means to be an American. I love America. I got an American hat, shirt. And, and pajama pants. I got it all. Okay? I don't know the cost the way that my brother does who's in the army. And I don't know the cost of America the way many people in this room do. Because I was born into being an American. We become dull in understanding the cost of our salvation. Uh, I, I went to an awesome marriage conference yesterday that was just sweet. It was so cool. I love my wife. She's awesome. And I, I loved what, what the pastor said when he was speaking about the gospel. He says some of us become, we, we almost become like vaccinated towards the gospel. We become immunized towards the gospel. It's like we get saved and we experience the gospel and we know what happened. And then it's like we think we graduated from that. We experienced it a little bit because you know how a vaccine works, right? You get a little bit of the sickness to prepare your body to handle the worst thing, Right? With the gospel, we do that. We experience a little bit, and then we become dull to it. I want us to look. We're going to look at a few passages today. I'm not going to go full exegetical or anything. We're going to pop around a little bit. Is that okay? You guys distracted by my voice? Okay. My dad says it's good because I can't sit on my charisma when I'm losing my voice. So I agree. It's humbling. All right. First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a great book. Paul wrote it to the church of, okay, Corinth, Corinthians, yes, absolutely. Paul wrote it to the church of Corinth, and Paul wrote this, this book to the, or the, sorry, letter to the church of Corinth when they were going through some difficulties. They were wrestling with some things within the church. In summary, the reason that the church of Corinth is falling apart. The reason why there's dissension is because the people have lost focus. Really, if we break it down, these people have lost the very foundation of the gospel. They have lost what we're talking about today. They have lost the basicness of focusing and ruminating on the cross. Essentially, they're stuck in their own wisdom and they're beginning to question authority. They have heard the gospel but it's almost as if the church of Corinth thinks they've graduated from that. And they begin to build their own wisdom on what they originally knew. Any of us do that in this room? I mean, a, a modern day version of that is, I don't know, 
maybe if we haven't picked up a Bible in a few years, but we've read a dozen Christian self-help books, right? There's nothing wrong with a self-help book. But we love to build wisdom on wisdom on wisdom until eventually what happens? We lose the foundation. Has anybody ever played the game of telephone? Right? Okay. If you play the game of telephone, basically you get a bunch of people, let's say 10 people, and I whisper one thing, like um, the dog is blue, and it keeps getting repeated over and over until the last person says, I want Winnie the Pooh. Right? That's the end. Sounds similar, but does it mean the same thing? Is it at all the same thing? No. This is what happens when we begin to build wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom until eventually we lose the foundation. This week I was extremely disturbed. I'm on an awesome Facebook page for youth pastors, and it's, it's really great because we help each other along with the things that we, we deal with. And one specific youth pastor posted a video from supposedly a very famous TikToker. Okay, you guys know what TikTok is? Little videos, right? And this famous TikToker, he calls himself Reverend Brandon. Okay, he calls himself Reverend Brandon, all right? So Reverend Brandon, he likes a little verse. He likes a verse called John 14, 6. Anybody know it? Pretty solid verse, right? Pretty important verse in our life. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You got that voice crack? All right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, no one receives eternal salvation except through my blood. No one receives the kingdom except through me. Pretty simple, right? I am the way, not a way. Jesus is the only way. If not through Jesus, then you're not going to heaven. It is only by the blood of Jesus. Pretty simple, right? Reverend Brandon has deceived Many, many young people especially, I can brief back up, I was in the high school last week talking to a girl that just got saved through TikTok. TikTok is influential, okay? There's people coming to know Christ through this. Move forward, I hear about Reverend Brandon. I watched this video, Reverend Brandon says that John 14, 6 does not say that Jesus is the way. He says to follow him, to be like Jesus, just, just to live a good life. That is not far off from what our Christian culture is teaching. I will tell you that many Christians, and I speak in love even in this room, we think that we only need to be like Jesus or we only need to like follow some of the ways of Jesus. But that is not what Scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to this church that thinks that their wisdom is enough. And Paul is saying, you are clueless. You've been going your own way. You heard about Jesus. You believe in Jesus, but now you're making up your own path. And in the midst of this, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says one of my favorite verses. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul Brings really things really simple. Paul is saying you've been focusing on everything else and you have stopped ruminating on Christ crucified. Paul, this person that is extremely mature in the faith, a person that if, if, if anyone in here thinks they've accomplished the goal of understanding the cost of the cross, it is Paul 
It is Paul, someone who is far more spiritually mature than any of us in this room. It is Paul who says, this is my focus. This entire church, the church of Corinth, you have been so focused on your own wisdom and figuring things out for yourself that you have forgotten to go to the word. Because you started with the word, you think you still fall in line with the word. But really, if we go back, you've betrayed the word. You've played a game of telephone. You've bounced around until eventually you came to the conclusion that you wanted to come to. Jesus wants me to have my best life now. Yet that is not true. Paul, again, someone who is far more mature than us, he says, this is the key to the solution to the healing within your church. You need to become like this. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Ruminate on Christ crucified. Right now, many of you guys know that tomorrow, Monday, Christina will be, my wonderful wife, will be five months pregnant. Right? Which is awesome. I just had to bring her up somehow, so I'm like jumping around to bring her up, right? Christina, she wouldn't be embarrassed for me to tell you that within her pregnancy, there has been a dramatic change. She now hates leftovers. I like leftovers, so I don't mind, right? We go out to eat. I'm like, oh, man, I get double whatever, right? Christina no longer likes leftovers. Anybody in here like leftovers? Okay, right, I'm going to get a little gross, but this is for the kids because it's Intergenerational Sunday. Okay, you ever eat your food and then like spit it out and then eat it again? All right, Ezekiel, when you eat some food, how many bites do you think you make? Six. I think that's probably accurate, but it shouldn't be. <laughs> okay. According to some study I read online, we should be chewing at least 32 bites every time we put something in our mouth, at least, to get all the nutrients, okay? You guys know what rumination is? You know, you know what a cow does? We do, right? Some of us know. This is what a cow does. He eats his grass. And by the way, a cow is chewing on his grass for a third of the day. That's pretty long, okay? A third of the day. That's like eight hours, Right? He's chewing on grass for eight hours. He's not getting locked jaw. He's just chewing on grass. He's getting all that nutrients, right? We're supposed to chew over 32 times again to get all the nutrients out of the foods that we're eating. You can eat a salad, but if you're just swallowing it, your body's not going to be able to break it down enough. Just because you're putting a spinach leaf in your body doesn't mean you're getting all the nutrients. So a cow chews on his food, okay? And then what does he do? He ruminates on it. He sends it back to his stomach. Okay, goes through like four different like compartments within his stomach and then he brings it back up and he chews on it again. The same food. Okay, is that gross, Christina? It's okay, you're pregnant. You can be gross though. All right. This is what I'm telling you to do over the simple basicness of the gospel. We need to ruminate on Christ crucified. Easter is coming up. Easter is coming up. I want to share something with you that I'm ashamed of, okay? I've always known, I've, I've known the love that Jesus has for me, but I want to share something with you. John 3, 16, it is written everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Who knows that verse? 
We know that verse, right? I want to tell you something that I'm ashamed of. That verse at points in my life has almost become like, man, this verse again? Why can't we move on to something different? Why can't we talk about something different? I wonder if I relate to anyone in here. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just telling you my sin publicly, right? I hear that verse and, and my heart breaks over what Jesus has done for me, but I read John 3:16 like on somebody's sign on the sidewalk. I'm like, couldn't you have just chose like, I don't know, like something from the Romans road, right? We get to a place where we get, I'm going to steal it again. We get like immunized against the basicness of the gospel. We look at the cross, we look at what Jesus has done for us, and we're like, it's not Easter yet, so let's talk about something different. We begin to lose focus on the fact that the cross is the center of everything. Without the epicenter of what Jesus did on Calvary for us, our faith is broken. You can follow all the wisdom in this book as much as you want. You can know the Bible as much as anyone. Richard Dawkins does. He's one of the leading atheists in the world. But if you do not set your faith on the epicenter, which is Jesus Christ on the cross, then it's all worthless. That is the solution to everything that we bicker over. Ruminate on Christ crucified. The first question I asked was, do you know the cost? I want to make something clear. We went through the book of Titus a couple months ago with the youth, and I love this verse so much. Titus 1-2, it says, in the hope of eternal life. Hope means expectation. In the expectation of eternal life, an expectation of going to heaven, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So before we go into this next part, I want us to understand this. Titus 1-2 says, God can't lie. Can't lie. It's impossible. It's outside of his character. And he made a promise. And what was that promise? The promise was salvation to anyone that called on his name. It wasn't, it wasn't just something he threw in the air. God can't lie. He made a promise. The promise was eternal salvation for those who call on his name. So I want us to understand a couple things. First of all, when you call on the name of Jesus and you give your life to him and his blood covers you, you have been justified, which means you have made good before the Father. God looks at you and he no longer sees sin. He sees the blood of Christ poured out for you on your life. You have then been regenerated. You have been made new. You are no longer in your old nature. You are now a new creation. But there's still a couple things that happen now. Sanctification, which we're going to talk about, and then glorification. Sanctification is the process of God making you holy making you more like him. Everyone in this room is in the process of sanctification. And then the day we all look forward to glorification, the day that we join him again and we become perfected in every way, no sickness, no tears, and we get to be in the presence of God. So before we move into this next part, I want to tell you, if you have given your life to Jesus, Titus 1-2 tells us God can't lie and he made a promise you do have salvation. You have been justified. You have been covered by the blood. You no longer need to wrestle with that. If you've given your life to him, you've been made new. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. When you don't know the cost paid for you to live for Jesus, then you will esteem it lightly. The next question is, do you know the cost of following Jesus? Just a book later in the book of Galatians. We're doing all right. We're awake, pumped up. 
I've been telling them we need to get some humidifiers in here that just pump out coffee. <sighs> just kidding, we already did it. Okay, all right, so do you know the cost of following Jesus? Now, man, we come to this book of Galatians. Man, I, I want us to understand. Many of us know Galatians 2.20, but I want us to understand the unique placement of that verse in this book. The book of Galatians is speaking to a people, the church of Galatia, who have been so focused on works. The book of Galatians is speaking to a people that have been attempting to earn salvation. The book of Galatians is speaking to a people that say, I've been saved by Jesus, but I also have to do these things. I also have to follow the law. And of course, Paul breaks that down and he says, you are, no, you're wrong. You've been justified only by grace, only by the blood of Jesus. And we do things for God simply in response of what he has done for us. Because we want to, because he has changed us. And in the midst of this, it is so interesting. As Paul is saying, it's not about works, it's about grace. Paul takes what seems to be a sharp switch. And he says in Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In, this midst, in the midst of this section, where Paul is talking about grace alone, Paul says here, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, this isn't my life anymore. He says, yes, yes, it's true. I've been covered by the blood of Jesus, and it's not about what I do. But Paul, because he knows the cost, he does not esteem his life highly or, or lightly, okay? Because Paul understands the cost of the cross, he does not value his life for Jesus lightly. Do you hear what I'm saying? Paul, in this entire book, he's saying, listen, you've been covered by grace. And Paul, in 2.20, he says, because I have been covered by grace, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Because of his grace, I now live for him who loved me and gave himself up for me, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul, this person that understands grace in a way that none of us do, Paul, a person that understands the payment that was made for us in the way that none of us do, Paul, in the response to his fullness of understanding of grace, says, I don't belong to myself. I will live, I will live every day, every moment for Jesus. Anything Jesus calls me to do, I'm doing it. Paul is not saying this because he's trying to inherit salvation. Paul is not trying to earn the love of God. Paul is already, he already knows that God loves him. And because of that, he's saying, I'm going to live for Jesus. This is the way I'm going to live because God changed my heart. 
He loves me. He loves me. I have to do this. I have to live for Jesus. Do you esteem your life for Christ too lightly? Because if you do, you may not understand or comprehend the, the cost. Jesus himself says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Even Jesus says it. He says, you've been covered by the grace. You've been covered by my blood. But now it's time, son. Now it's time, daughter, to realize the proper response is to come after me and to pick up your cross. We'll go to the next slide here. God's demands for your life will seem unreasonable when Christ crucified is no longer personal. Our world is beginning to wrestle with the inerrancy of Scripture. Our world is beginning to say, but does the Bible really say that? Does God really want me to do this? I would argue the reason why we have come to that place is because Christ crucified is no longer personal. That we gave our life to Christ for self-benefit, not in response to who he is and what he did. God's demands for your life will seem unreasonable. When he calls you out of sin, when he calls you to treat somebody a certain way, when he calls you to walk in faith, when he calls you to do whatever, it will seem unreasonable when we don't have a full understanding of Christ crucified. Paul was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten. And the entire time, he kept trekking along. And that's because he knew the cost. First Peter 2.21 says this. Peter tells us. So first we see from Paul, then we see from Jesus, and then we see Peter say, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus didn't do anything. He's never expected you to do anything that he wasn't already willing to do. I mean, heck, the Bible says that, that if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. Jesus says, if they hate you, guess what? They hated somebody before you, and it was me. When life gets hard, when you don't know how to go on, when you doubt the character or presence of God, we've all been there. When you doubt who he is, when you don't understand why God is calling you to live a certain way, when you're sick of fighting with your sin because you just want to embrace your sin. Ruminate. Chew on. Sit on, understand the sacrifice that Jesus paid for you. When you don't know how to stand in tall in truth, when it feels like nobody is with you, find your strength in who Jesus is and what he has done for you. We're going to come to a close soon. I'm going to ask Eli to come up. He's going to play a little instrumentally because I, I, love, I love Eli leading us in that. And I want to tell us a story. Can I tell another story? Or is it warm in here? Are we getting tired? All right. I'm warm. Maybe it's just because pushing out so much air out of my swollen throat or whatever. 
There's a great hymn that I'm not going to tell you the title to because you're going to have to guess. 200 years ago, there was a revival in Wales, England. What this revival did was it, it spurred something amazing. About 200 years ago, when this revival took place, tons of missionaries took heart to the gospel of Christ. And they said, we're going to become missionaries and we are going to reach the unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of those missionaries would go to northern India. Some of those missionaries would go to these tribes that were known as the headhunters. Now, the reason that these tribes were known as the headhunters were because whenever foreigners came, they would take their heads and they would hang them in their homes. Many missionaries lost their lives. Many missionaries lost their lives. Now, we don't know the missionary that did this, but there was a missionary that was in one of these tribes. Specifically, the tribe was called the Garo tribe. And this missionary came to the Garo tribe and he happened to minister to a man named Noxang. Noxang. Noxang had a wife and two daughters. This missionary shared the gospel with Noxang and Noxang was absolutely radically changed. As you may guess, Noxang didn't have weekly devotional Bible studies. He probably never came to a Sunday service. He probably never read a C.S. Lewis book. He didn't do all the check marks that many of us in this room think of when it comes to being a Christian. But Noxang was challenged by the cross, by the gospel. And Noxang said, I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus. So Noxang, he began to share the gospel with people in his tribe. People were, were starting to get stirred up, and, and the chief of the tribe found out that Noxang and his wife and his two sons were sharing the gospel. So, Nox, so, so this tribal leader grabbed Noxang and his family, and he, he brought them before the whole tribe, and he put them around a circle, and he had bows and arrows aimed at his family. The tribal chief said to Noxang, renounce Jesus or we will kill your sons. I want to remind you again, Noxang was transformed by the gospel of Jesus. He had ruminated on the death and resurrection of Christ. He knew the cost that was paid for him. And so he knew the value of the life he now lives for Jesus. Tribal chief says, renounce Jesus or we will kill your sons. Noxang replied, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The archers picked up their bows and took out the two sons. They were dead on the ground. The tribal chief said, I'll give you another chance. Now you know I'm serious. Renounce Jesus or I'm going to kill your wife. Noxang replied, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Sure enough, the wife was taken out. The tribal chief, completely dismayed and shocked. You can't look weak, right? So the chief looks at Noxang and he says, renounce Jesus 
or you will lose your life. Knox Hang said, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. He was then taken out. He was killed. That was the first time those words were said. So you may ask the question, how do we have that hymn today? How are those words still known today? The, the, the account goes that the tribal chief, after he took out Noxang, immediately was in such shock that he said, I too belong to Jesus. And there was revival that broke out in North India. That father, that wife, those two sons on earth, they would not know what God was doing. But it was because they knew the cost. It's not because they went to enough small groups. It's not because they did enough devotionals or read enough self-help books. They were changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, even though they didn't know the outcome that God would do, they trusted that God really was working out all things good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so Knox saying, willingly gave up his life and revival took place. You will live casually for Christ when you become casual about the cross. Maybe those are some questions you need to ask. You can throw it up on the slide there. You will live casually for Christ when you'll become casual about the cross. Or, all right, we'll, we'll go back to the, maybe we missed the slide. That's okay. Um, I want us to close our eyes. And first, I want to talk to the people that have never given their life to Jesus. You understand that giving your life to Jesus does give absolute certainty that you've been covered by the blood of Jesus and you are saved. We also understand when that takes place, there's a change that happens in our hearts. And we desire to say just what Paul said to the church of Galatia, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We're no longer called to our own purposes, but to his. So today, if, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that he rose again and that all your sin is washed away and you have never asked God into your heart and you have never given your life fully to him, first, I wanna ask those people to raise their hands. If today you've been wrestling with conviction and you say, I have made that prayer, but I haven't always understood the fullness of what it meant. And today you just wanna say, God, help me to know the cost so that I no longer live casually for him. Would you raise your hand? can repeat after me in your mind or in your heart. Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, that he was resurrected again on the third day. God, I pray that you would renew my understanding of the cost of the cross, 
that I would no longer, longer undervalue living for you, but that I would sit on your wisdom and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.